Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, Stephen Covey encourages us to do um, this exercise. And so I'm going to ask you to do it this morning. Um, If you would just all kind of close your eyes for a moment. And um, I know we usually do that at the end of the service, but we're going to do it at the beginning, okay? Throwing you off a little bit. Just close your eyes for a moment. And what I'd like you to do is think about your funeral. That's a great way to start a message, but just think about your funeral. Um, And everybody's gathered around, your family, your friends, co-workers, church family members. They've all gathered together to talk about you and your life. And each one of them, there's one from every category there, gets up to speak. Family member is up to speak about your life and what you meant to them. Then one of your best friends. Then a co-worker talks about the kind of person you were on the job. Then a member of your church family gets up and talks about the eternal impact you've had on their life. And as you're thinking about that, I'm going to ask you a few questions. What would you like to hear them say? What would you like to hear a family member say about your life or a co-worker? What difference would you have wanted to make in their life because your life touched theirs? What are the things that you would want to be said about you when it's all said and done? All right, you can look up now. It's a depressing way to start a sermon, but <clears throat> what he talks about in this is the principle of beginning with the end in mind, which is really what the Bible talks about when it talks about vision. This, what do you want to be said about your life when it comes in. What do you want to be able to say, this is where God led me and this is what I did with my life? What, what do you want to be said about your life? It's about vision. It's really what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Calling. To have a sense of purpose and meaning in your life. To know what it is God brought you into this world. And, and to be able to say when you come to the end, I fulfilled this calling on my life. And we've talked about that this last month quite a bit. We've talked about the call that he has on each of us to follow him. And the response to his call to follow is the response of Peter to Jesus when he said, because you say so, I will. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I know this is what your word says, and I don't see how it's going to be able to work out. But because you say so, I will. It's a call of obedience. It's a call of submitting my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about God's calling and your career. What you do, what kind of a job and where you work. And, and one of the things that we talked about in that was it's not so much where you work or, or what your job or career is. The real question is, how do you do it? And Paul instructed us to be able to, to work at it, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as to the Lord. Because it is indeed the Lord Christ you are serving. And then we talked about the idea that someday we're all going to have to give an account of our life. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that. That someday, you're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask you, what did you do with your life? And, and the response that you really want to hear him say, the one I want to hear him say is, well done. Well done, good and faithful 
servant. And then last week we talked about this whole idea of just the call to be. Not so much what you do, but the call to become the, God, the person God designed you to be. And Peter talked about it this way. He said that by the power of God, everything we need for life and godliness is available to us. And so this morning, as we wrap up this series, I want to talk a little bit about your future. Your calling and your future. And the truth is, none of us, no, no one in this room knows exactly where life's going to lead us. None of us know the twists and the turns and the ups and downs of the journey ahead of us. None of us really, really know that. We might have some kind of an idea, but we really don't. It's our future, and we don't know what it's going to be, what it's going to look like. But our sense of God's call on our life can weather us through all of it. If I have a sense of this is what God called me to do, wherever it takes me, I know I can be faithful to that. And that's really what is seen in the life of the Apostle Paul. There is a passage in in the book of Acts, which the book of Acts details a lot of Paul's missionary journeys. That's mostly what the book is about. The different cities that he visited, new believers came to Christ, new churches started. And, And it's his last journey. And he's wrapping up his last journey, and he's on his way back home to Jerusalem. And what he's been doing is visiting each of the churches that he helped establish and just spend some final times with them um, because he doesn't know what his future is going to hold. Things are kind of wrapping up for him. He has this sense that it's kind of coming to an end. And he gets, gets, there's one certain city that he does not visit. It's the city of Ephesus. And and he just knows that if he goes and stays there, he'll never get out of that place because he just loves those people so much and they love him so much and they spend so much. It'd be hard to leave. And so what he does is instead, he stops in Miletus, which is another city nearby, and he sends for the elders of that church to come from Ephesus so he could spend some last time with them and share with them. And that's where we pick up the story. It's in Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn there in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in a seat next to you. Um, Go ahead and grab that. It's page 1100. It's Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. It says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He says, you, you are the people that mean the most to me. And you know the kind of person I was and how I did ministry among you. And I'm not sure what the future holds for me. But, but everywhere I go, there's this sense that the Spirit is saying to me, it's not going to be good. But I'm going anyway. Because this is what God called me to do. And in fact, he does. He goes to Jerusalem um, he is arrested. He has to make his case there before the courts there. And he actually appeals to Rome because you could, you could do, it's kind of like, you know, to the Supreme Court. You could make this appeal if you were a Roman citizen. So he get, they put him on a boat, you know, take him in chains, send him off. Eventually he gets to Rome and he spends this time in Roman prison. And it was actually from the Roman prison that he wrote most of the letters to the churches which makes up our New Testament. All the, all the last part, of, a good part of our New Testament is letters that Paul wrote to different churches. Church in Ephesus, Ephesians. Church in Corinth, Corinthians. 
And there's one church that he wrote to in a, church, in a city called Philippi. And it's Philippians. And I want you to turn there a couple of pages, 1163, um, chapter 3, because it's a parallel to what he just said. Now he's in prison. Okay? Um, everything that he had a sense was going to happen has indeed happened. He's now in prison, and he's writing these letters to the churches that he helped start. And as he writes them, these are the things that he shares with them. This is like one of his last letters written. He says, verse, chapter 3, verse 7, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not there yet. I got a long way to go, but I know what God has called me to do and who he's called me to become, and I'm pressing on. And it doesn't matter even if I'm in jail. I'm pressing on. In fact, you find out earlier in this letter that every time they set guards with him, he keeps leading them to Jesus. Yeah, that's what's happening. And in fact, earlier in the letter, he says, because of this jail, he said, now all the Praetorian guard know about Jesus. He's sitting in prison, and he hasn't stopped his call because he knows it's his call to the end. And it never changes. And the way that that call gave such confidence and direction for his life is the same way it can do it for us. For each and every one of us, when we get this sense of why God created us and what he's given us to do, and we are doing that, it will carry us through no matter what. God's call sustained him, and that is true for us as well. And that's what I want us to look at together this morning, is is how the call of God impacts our life, particularly how it impacts our future. And one of the things that you find is that our calling, one of the things it does is it helps us focus on what truly matters most. That's what calling does. Because we live in a very, very busy culture. We live on busy overload. There are all kinds of demands on our time and our attention and our money, and we've got all kinds of things going on. And the trouble is when we get so wrapped up in all of that, we lose sight of what really is important. We lose sight of what's truly valuable. It's like, like the father who will work overtime, put extra hours in the office to be able to earn money to provide for his family, which he hardly spends any time with because he's always at the office. That's a mix-up of values. When you know your call, it gives you sharper focus. It helps you see what really, really matters the most. It provides clarity, and that's what it did for Paul. This sense of calling provided for him this clarity, and at a decisive moment in his life and ministry, he doesn't know what it's going to turn out and what it's going to look like, but he says, I know where I'm going because of my call. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Because of the call of God on his life, he knew what was important. He knew what deeply mattered. 
And that set the tone and the course of all of his life. And he acted accordingly. He acted out of his values and out of that worth that he found in Christ. That became the basis for his actions. Let me ask you this morning. What do your actions say about what you truly matter most? What do your actions say about, what do they reveal about the truth about your values? Because we can say, you know, I've got these values, I've got these core values. But if the way we live our lives doesn't live out those values, guess what? They're not really values. So one of the questions I have for you this morning is just, what do your actions say about what truly matters most to you? Paul said, this is the most important thing in my life. And it colors everything. It changes everything. Whatever I do, it's because of this call that I know he has on my life. And that wasn't always the case, by the way. Earlier in his life, much of his life, he spent it very religious. In fact, he was intensely religious. He was fanatical about rule-keeping and rule-enforcing. And that's what happens. See, he based much of his life, most of the early part of his life, on doing all the things that need to be done, on keeping the law, on making sure everybody else keeps the law, because that's what happens when you become a rule keeper. Then you want to be like a cop and enforce it on everybody else. Because if i got to be miserable, you got to be miserable with me. Okay? And, and that's what he spent most of his life. He was a Pharisee. He says earlier in this letter, he talks about all the qualifications that he had. He said, I tried so hard and I did everything right and I tried to do nothing. In fact, nobody could accuse me of doing anything wrong. But he says, I look back on that and it's garbage. Because all of this rule keeping and all this striving and all of my effort got me to the point where I realized I can't do it. Frustrated, judgmental, critical. All because he was trying to do something that he couldn't possibly do. And you never can. No amount of rule keeping. No amount of doing what is right and not doing what is wrong. Gets your favor with God. All of his life he had spent trying to earn God's favor, earn God's love, prove his worth to God. And he gets to the end of his life and he does his own life audit. That's what he does. He writes to the Philippians. He said, I consider everything a loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He sits towards the end of his life and he knows it's not going to be much longer and he starts doing an analysis, an audit of his life. And here are all the, all the assets of my life and here's all the liabilities. And all the things that I thought, I thought were assets were truly liabilities. And they weren't getting me where I wanted to go. In fact, they were hindering me and keeping me back. And I thought they were an asset, but they were a liability. And when I weigh it all out, the bottom line is this. All that stuff that I thought was important and valuable, rubbish. Rubbish. In fact, the Greek word, and you're going to get some Greek this morning, okay? Because I went four years to college. I got to show it off every once in a while. The word is skubalon. Skubalon. You want to try practicing that? Skubalon. Okay, you know what it means? Refuse. In fact, actually, more than that, it means dung. Or in common everyday language, poop. <laughs> actually, you know what? Truthfully, it's a much stronger version of that. It is like, it's a curse word. In the Bible, yes. It, it's, it's like you could say, scuba alone happens, okay? <laughs> That's the word. That's, now, again, I'm not trying to be cute or funny. That is the true meaning of that word. That's what he is saying. All this stuff that I had tried so hard 
to earn God's favor and to do right. I look back on it, it, it is scubalon. It's, it's, it's not only worthless, it's worse than worthless. Now imagine if you had spent all of your life trying to earn God's favor, trying to do everything right, trying to make sure that you did nothing wrong, that you spent your whole life with this huge burden and load, and all of a sudden you discover the grace of God. And, and it, it just takes all the pressure off. There's a sense of freedom and, and lightness about that. No wonder he looks back on that old part of his life and he says, Scubalon. Because by comparison, that's what it is. I can tell you some of the Scubalon in my own life. I grew up in the church. I grew up a good Christian Sunday school boy. I got perfect attendance. I, every year, I got the little badge with all the little hook-ons for every year, like 16, 17, 18, you know. Perfect attendance. I could look up Bible verses faster than anybody else in my class. I was valedictorian of my Sunday school, you know. I, I, I got all the stickers on the wall. All of them. Scuba alone. Because you know what? I thought that's what it meant to be a good Christian. I thought it was all about perfect attendance and looking up Bible verses and learning and memorizing Bible verses and being able to do all the right things and not do the wrong things. I thought that was it. Scuba on. He says, the only thing that really matters, the only thing that I really find of value in my life is to know him, to know Christ. It changed the direction of my life. It gave me a better focus on what truly matters most. And all the stuff that I used to think was of great value is nothing. What really matters is this. And that's what a sense of calling does for us. When we know and get a sense of what it is God has called us to do and who it is he has called us to be, it just changes our whole value system. And it changes everything about that. And with that sharpened focus, there's something else that happens. What it does is it keeps us now heading in the right direction. We don't get off track anymore because we know what really matters and that's the stuff that we keep giving our lives to. We have a clear sense of direction for our lives because of the grace of God. And that destination changes our direction. In fact, that's the Bible word for repentance. The Bible word is repentance. The word repentance simply means this, to have such a change of mind and perspective that it changes the outlook and direction of my life. Literally, it just means to change my mind. But it's so much deeper. It's a change, fundamental change in my way of thinking that it changes the direction of my life. That's what repentance is. And that's what Paul experience and that's why he says my only aim my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the lord jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of god's grace he said when i discovered this it changed everything and now there's not one person in this world that i want to see miss out on this that i give my life to this this is the only thing that really matters it's the only aim of my life this is the direction of my life now i don't want to see any of my friends any of my enemies not know the grace of god because it's life transforming it is liberating it is forgiving it is restoration he said that has now so changed my life it's the whole aim and goal that's the destination i'm heading for it is my only aim it is the only direction i'm taking God instituted for us a turning point. And he gave it to all of his followers. It's called baptism. Baptism is a turning point. 
Baptism is the time that I stand before my friends and my family and everybody else, my church family, and I say, I have changed the direction of my life. I am identifying myself right here, right now with Jesus Christ, and that's the direction I want to set for the rest of my life. And that whole thing about dunking under the water and bringing back up is symbolic of the dying of that old life and a resurrection to a brand new life. That's what it represents. That's why people get baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, let me encourage you. If you have taken that step of faith and and had that change of direction, you need to get baptized. And sometimes people say to me, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm there yet. It's not an end point. It's a beginning point. And if you've taken that first step of faith and you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. Because it's, it's a stake in the ground. It's the point at which I say there's no turning back. I'm moving forward. My life has changed. I'm not there yet but I'm changing directions. And in fact, we're going to have a baptism in a couple of weeks, right after our second Sunday morning service in two weeks. And if you have not been baptized, let me encourage you. In fact, inside your bulletin, there's a little sign-up sheet. Just fill this out and put it in one of the offering boxes. There's actually going to be a class right after the service this morning over in the student ministries, which is the, the building caddy corner to the quad out back. And if you'll go over there about 15 minutes after the service or so, we're going to go through. If you've got questions about baptism, Bring them with you. If you can't make it because it's last notice for you today, come next week because we'll do a repeat of the class. But don't let anything keep you from making that declaration of faith because it's the turning point. He gave it to us so we would have something that we could say. Things have changed. I've changed directions. That's what baptism's all about. Now, I know a lot of times, I know people in all my years of pastoral ministry, I know people have made great starts and then just kind of started to drift. And not even intentionally. Just got busy with other stuff. Now, you know, I just, yeah, I know. I, I need to spend some time in worship with other believers. Yeah, I need to spend some time alone with God. I know. But, you know, I got so much going on. And I got so many deadlines at work. I just can't. Now, I just lost half of you right there. Just saying that word deadlines at work. But that's the mentality we get. We can, I just don't have time for it. You don't have time not for it. <laughs> It's the most important thing you do. Because if you don't, we have this tendency to drift. And we kind of get off the thoroughfare. We, we get an exit ramp and we start driving on the shoulder, on the frontage road. Or, or we get turned off all together and we get lost somewhere. And this happens all the time. And I don't understand it. It breaks my heart when I see it. And I can see it happen to people. I can see the drift start. And I can see the choices that people make. And I say, don't you know where that choice leads you? <laughs> that choice is a direction. And we think that, well, it's, just, it's not that big a deal. It's just one choice. Every choice is a choice of direction. And every choice of direction leads somewhere. There's no denying it. Andy Stanley writes about this. He writes about it in his book called The Principle of the Path. Listen to what he writes. He says, to get from where we don't want to be to where we want to be requires two things, time and change of direction. There isn't a quick fix. Being lost or far from where you want to be is not a problem to be solved. There is no instant solution for being lost. One gets to the place one wants to be the same way one gets to the place one doesn't want to be by putting one foot in front of the other and moving in a specific direction. Cars have problems that can be fixed. 
Computers have problems that can be fixed, unless it's a PC, but uh, that's not in there. Lawnmowers have problems that can be fixed, but generally speaking, people have directions that need to be changed. I have talked to so many individuals who want to discuss their problems, but they don't really have problems. They have chosen to live in the wrong direction. They don't need a solution. They need a new destination. And if you aren't buying any of this, just look back at your own life. I've talked to many individuals who want to discuss their problems, and they don't have problems. They've chosen to live in the wrong direction. They need to change. Looking back on our lives, the paths are evident. Looking at others' lives, the paths are evident. It's when we look ahead that we lose sight of the fact that in every arena of life, we are moving in a specific direction toward a specific destination. Looking ahead, we are often deceived into thinking that life is a series of unrelated decisions, and somehow we will end up where we want by simply force of will or luck. Or, as I've heard so many people say, it'll work out somehow. But if you can see a path in the rearview mirror, that reflects where you've been, and it explains where you are. Then there must be a path ahead of you as well. A path that, like all paths, has a specific and oftentimes predictable destination. And that brings us at last to the principle of the path. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. It is the choices that we make every day. They either take us in the path we want to go or get us on a side street. Having a clear sense of calling, having a clear sense of values and what really matters before God helps us keep our eyes on the goal. It keeps us moving in the right direction. And sometimes a hindrance to people's sense of call, sometimes a hindrance to fulfilling that call is the past. They look at the past about their own, and it might be a single bad choice. It might be a series of bad choices. It might be their own mistakes or the mistakes of others that got them in this mess. They might be the ones to blame or it might be no one's to blame. But they're in a place because of decisions, and they think to themselves, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me. I am somehow disqualified. And I want you, hear, want you to hear this morning. There is no past, no past, that is beyond the reach of God's redeeming grace. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or the directions you have headed with your life. There is no path beyond the reach of God's redeeming grace. Paul says, if anything, look at me. I ended up persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. I was not only getting in the way, I was trying to keep it from happening. But God's grace got a hold of me. And now he says, so the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. On to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. I press on. I can't go back and undo the past. And it won't do any good to keep looking in the rearview mirror and trying to drive straight ahead. So I forget what's behind and I just keep pressing on. I go forward. Calling can do that for you. And last thing, the calling gives us the motivation to finish well. 
That's what it does. It gives us this ability and the motivation to finish well. It's not religion. Calling is what gives us eternal values. It's what helps us see what matters. It's what keeps us in the right direction, and it keeps us going to the very, very end. It's the life transformation, transformation that now motivates everything that I do. That's what Paul writes. He said to the, to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. He says, you know all things I did. But he says, more than what I did, he says, you know how I lived. He starts with that. He says, you know how I lived my life. I wasn't just doing, I was being. And I did a lot of things, but what I really want you to see is how I lived. You know how I lived. It's the thing that changed everything about my life. And that's really what we've been looking at this whole month about calling. That sense of purpose and meaning and understanding about what God has designed you to do and to follow that because it changes everything. Because it isn't about Sunday attendance. Although Sunday attendance is a good thing. But that's not the thing in itself. It's not about Sunday attendance. It's not at all even about doing some volunteer work because it's my duty. Because any organization, you know, you got to do something to help make the organization. So I'll volunteer an hour a month and, you know, that's my duty, but that's okay. It's not about that. It's about life. It's about everything that I do being motivated by my love and my gratitude to Jesus Christ for what, he is great, what His grace has done in my life. It's the thing that motivates my whole life and keeps me moving forward. It is the outflow of a love and gracious heart towards Jesus. And that's why Paul says, I want to know Christ more than anything else. This is what I'm pushing to. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship and sharing in his suffering. He says, I want to, I want to be so connected with Jesus. I want, I want my life to be such a reflection of his that even if it means suffering and hurt and in death on him, he says, I don't care. It's the driving force of my life. It's the only thing that I want. I want my life to reflect Jesus to people. I want to be found in him. In every aspect of my life, I live for Christ. And you think, well, yeah, but that's Paul. He was an apostle. He wrote New Testament. You know, that's not me. It is. That's the call that God's put on our life. And it has to change our attitudes and our hearts and our interactions with other people. It changes everything. Now, he says, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. He says, I press on. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. None of us have, by the way. <laughs> None of us have. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. He says, I am nowhere near where I need to be, but I keep pressing on. I am not the person fully that God designed me to be. I have not fully done what he's called me to do, but I press on. And you see, when I understand that, when I understand that, see, my calling, it, it supersedes my vocation. So I can retire and still go with my calling <laughs> because it's bigger than my career. It's bigger than anything else in my life. It's getting in on what it is God is doing. I'll give you another Greek word this morning, okay? It's, it's the word that's in this sentence where it says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. The Greek word is, because this is Greek day, okay? Epektinomai. 
Try that one, okay? Epectinomai. It's a little tongue twister. Try it again. Epectinomai. It's, it's, a, it's a compound word. And, and the suffix of it, that ep, ep comes from epi, it has to do with forward and, and, and movement forward, okay? And then ectinomai is moving forward. So it's like it's, it's forward, moving forward, moving forward. That's, that's what it means. It's, it, and and the, picture, the picture is from athletics and sports. It is the picture of a runner that comes to the end of the race. And it's down to the wire. And they stretch out forward as far as they can and break the tape to finish. That's epectinomai. When the 49ers had a team. <laughs> they had a wide receiver named Jerry Rice. He knew how to epectinomai. He knew how to keep his tippy toes in bounds while the rest of his body was out of bounds catching a ball. He could do that. And you know why? Because he practiced that day in and day out. When all the practice was over and everybody else was heading to the showers, he would get one of the quarterbacks or somebody else just to throw him out-of-bounds passes so he could practice getting right to the line, keeping his feet inbound, and still catching it. He was epectino mind as a specialty. And so when it came time in the game, when he needed to do it, he could. Because that's how he lived his life. That's how he practiced his craft. And he did it better than anybody else ever, if you ask me. And that's the word. Paul says, that's me. I'm coming down to the finish. And I'm not easing up on the gas. I'm pushing forward. I'm coming down to the tape, and I'm not taking back and walk in the last couple of yards. I am straining full measure so that I'm about to fall on my face. But I am epectinomying my way into the kingdom of God. And then he turns around, and it's not in the passage that we read, and he says, anybody who's mature in Christ should see it that way. In other words, this isn't just for apostles or disciples, missionaries, pastors, ministers. Anyone, anyone who is mature in the faith should be epectinomying. Because that's the call of Christ on our life. It is the call, the call to follow to the very end. It is the call to obey no matter what. It is the call to do whatever I can with all of my heart as to the Lord. It is the call that wants me to push to the end to hear, well done. It is the call home. Os Guinness says it this way. After a lifetime of journeying, we are arriving home. After all these years of hearing only the voice, we are about to see the face and feel the arms. The caller is our Father, and the last call is the call home. Jell out your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 